Hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me this morning, as usual. Darcy, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. I got my coffee and my Auburn mug. I'm ready for another game day, as usual. We are ready to blow this recording thing out of the water, right? We've got a <laughs> yep. few episodes planned for the day. We've got some good stuff. We kind of have been trying to stick with a little bit of a theme for Halloween month since we're in October now. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that, Darcy? Are you uh, a big fan of It's my favorite of, time of the year. The fall or Halloween? Halloween. What what makes it so wonderful uh, for you? I, well, I do like the weather. I like that it starts to cool down, um, but I love horror films. Like, I love them, specifically slasher films. I don't mess with supernatural stuff, but horror films, um, I'm all about some slasher horror films. And so this is the best time of the year for me. Sweet. Mm-hmm. That's very, very exciting. I, I, I'm not so much a, a horror movie fan as much mm-hmm. as I just like the fall. Yeah. I like anything pumpkin flavored. <laughs> yes, oh, okay, I'm the, yeah, that yeah. basic woman who likes <laughs> pumpkin everything. I don't do pumpkin spice latte, though. I don't do lattes. I'm not really a coffee fan. But yeah. I, I did get some pumpkin chai tea latte, Ooh. which is The pumpkin spice, strange. like the syrup is, is too sweet for me at Starbucks. Yeah, it's a little, hmm, I'm not sure about it. Yeah. Um, I tried the pumpkin spice latte and I was like, uh, I mean, it's too much. It's a bit much. The pumpkin flavor is very real though, but it's just, it's weird to have the pumpkin flavor with chai tea for me. Mm. Yeah. I like a chai, but I haven't had, I haven't had pumpkin flavor with it. It's okay. You know, what's really good though is gingerbread. Oh yeah. No, 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 no question there. Yeah. Anything ginger, carrot bread, mm-hmm. like pumpkin bread. I love pumpkin bread. Like, I can't even get enough I of that too. stuff. Especially the one at Starbucks. Like, I could just eat that all day. Like, every day. Yeah. It's got a lot of sugar in it, though. So, I try to, mm-hmm. <laughs> I try to limit myself and try to make that, like, That's a little special treat. treat every once in a while. Um, So, I did a lot of shopping this week as well and found a new microphone. I think I'm going to try it out. Um Really? But you just got it. I know, but I feel like this one is not giving me the kind of sound quality that I'm enjoying. Oh, and so okay. I found one that's kind of comparable that people say is like a Blue Yeti, but better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also looking into getting a new computer because I don't know if the, the sound quality and the stuff that we're getting here is a function of my microphone or if it's a function of my computer or like what it's actually doing. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm thinking either it's the computer or it's the microphone, and the microphone is much easier to replace than the computer. And I mm-hmm. think I think I'm still on on warranty for the microphone, so I could always you know exchange it and do something else. Um, yeah. The house is still we're still working on that. It hasn't finalized yet. <laughs> we were supposed to be closing on the 12th Gosh, of October. That's so long. It's a long yeah. process here. Like, and I didn't think that it was going to be as long as it is, but it's funny how when you get houses that are old, you end up with a lot of extra mm-hmm. issues that you have to resolve before you can actually get the financing. Like because this house right. is more than a hundred years old, they have, they have given it a limited shelf life, so to speak. So like there's some kind of weird mortgage regulation that basically states that because our house is so old that it's pretty much not going to be good past 20 years from now. Oh. Which is really weird. I've never heard of such a thing. Yeah. And they've also estimated that the maintenance on it, because it's such a big house and it's such Mm -hmm. an old house, is going to be at least $1,000 a month. Holy cow. And we were just looking at each other like, what? Um, no, we're not spending a thousand dollars a month on this house in maintenance. Like we have a big ride along, ride on lawnmower and stuff so we can do the yard maintenance ourselves. But like, we're going to do some remodeling when we first moved in because like the bathrooms are not really that functional. But like, other than that, we're not going to change much about the house unless there's something that needs to be repaired because it has water damage or something like that. So I don't understand where they're getting a thousand dollars a month as an estimate. So anyway, it's not even like they're not talking about like heating and like bills, like utilities. They're talking about maintenance, Hmm. like repairs and like keeping things in order. And it just was very bizarre Hmm. to me. It's a whole new process out here than it was. I've never heard of that, but I've never bought a house. 
We had all new construction. Right. So going through this has been interesting. And then we had an old, old house when I was growing up, but I don't remember any of this. It was at least 100 years old then as well. It was built like in 1905. Yeah. Wow. So um, we didn't, I don't remember having to deal with any of this. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Like if it ends up getting derailed, then we'll just find another place. But right. we've been, I looked back at my emails and my texts and my pictures and stuff. And I started taking pictures of this place when we first saw it in May. Yeah. I remember you telling me about it when you were first like taking trips out there to, before you moved. And here we are like in October. Yeah. I mean, it's such a cool house though. It's just, it's got such good bones and such cool flooring and it's just you don't find places like that anymore and it's not super fancy and it's not super bougie and it doesn't have expensive chandeliers or anything like that but it's got the original Mm -hmm. hardwood floors and some stained glass windows and some really pretty nice little things that I really am excited about but I mean we'll see what happens you never know these days with the way the economy is going and jobs and all that other stuff like But um, do you want to, are you ready to jump into the uh, main case for the day? Let's do it. Yeah. So this is, like I said, I love horror films and this is actually an inspiration for one of my favorite movies, uh, Scream. So do you remember that movie in, in 1986? Um, the one with a mask, the, the guy with the mask, yes. the white mask or whatever. I didn't yeah. really watch the movies, but I, I, I think I know the franchise because like who wouldn't? Like if you yeah. were living under a rock, maybe you wouldn't know it, but like. Okay. Yeah. This was what like one of the first R-rated films I saw because I was I was only like 12 at the time and I I owned the entire box set. Like I own all four movies. So I love these films. Is it just anyway, me or was there a little bit of a it, like comedic thing going on with that movie? Yeah. It wasn't Yeah, there's satire. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. Um and I didn't know this at the time, but that story was actually inspired by the case of the Gainesville Ripper. Have you heard about this one? Um I think I have just from listening to other podcasts about it, but like mm-hmm. it's funny that like I wouldn't necessarily consider that like a purist horror movie. Like for me, like if I'm talking horror movies, I'm talking Nightmare on Elm Street. That was like the first horror movie I ever watched. Right. And I was like the purist. Well, it- yeah, I mean, like, I would say Halloween is probably my favorite, like, scary movie, but this is just one of my all-time... Scream is just one of my all-time favorite okay. movies. Let's so. do this. But anyway, so, um, yeah, so we're going to be talking about a serial killer targeting college students in Florida, but we're not talking about Ted Bundy. So this actually took place in Gainesville, Florida, and that's the home of the University of Florida. And Gainesville's kind of located, like, right in the middle of where the peninsula and the panhandle of Florida meet, so, like, right where it kind of starts to turn, like, Mm. south. It's not really, there's not a whole lot there other than Gainesville, Um, but it has a population of about 134,000 people, and more than a third of those students, or those citizens of Gainesville are students at the University of Florida, and I knew Florida was, like, a huge college, but I didn't realize how many students they have. They have, like, 56,000 students. Wow. So it's, it's huge. And for reference, Auburn, which is where I went, which is the greatest college in all the land, has about 27,000. So it's considerably smaller, and 27,000 is still a pretty good-sized school. So okay. there's also a community college in the area, Santa Fe College, and they have just under 20,000 students. So Almost half the entire population of Gainesville is made up of college students, right? And, of course, those are population numbers from today, not back in 1990 when this happened. But in August of 1990, the Gainesville area was terrorized by a serial killer. Five college-age kids were brutally murdered over a three-day period. So this is like a serial killer immediately going to berserker mode. Like you're not getting pressing everything. Yeah. Like he's not going to spread it out and enjoy it. He's just going to bam all in one sitting. And so on August 24th, a man broke into the apartment of freshmen, Sonia Larson and Christina Powell. Christina was asleep on the couch and the man just watched her sleeping for a little bit. He didn't do anything, which is terrifying. That's like my worst nightmare. Like, right? I'm sorry. Like, yeah. I, I actually um, heard somewhere that like they're and this is somewhat related, but not really related, that a lot of people wake up in the middle of the night with the sensation that somebody is watching them, that that's like the most common reason that we wake up in the middle of the night, whether we remember it or oh, not. Oh, weird. And that like it could have some sort of like spiritual function, like we actually Right. feel like a ghost or something watching us but it's usually around 2 30 in the morning and you'll wake up and you won't be aware that you wake up because you feel like somebody's watching you 
That's horrifying. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Now that's the first thing I'm going to think of when I wake Because I always wake up in the middle of the night. I have insomnia. So now that's, that's what I'm thinking about when I wake up in the middle of the night. But um, so he goes. He, so then he goes upstairs to where Sonia Larson is sleeping. And he tapes her mouth shut and he stabs her repeatedly. And the medical examiner described this as like a blitz style attack. So like it just happened so fast. She was asleep. He jumps on her, tapes her mouth shut to stifle the screams and then just stabs her a bunch. Jeez. And, and the medical examiner concluded that she actually died trying to fight him off. So, like, she had a bunch of defensive wounds and everything. He pull, Then the, the murderer pulled her to the side of the bed to where her legs were hanging off the bed, and he spread her legs open. Okay. Okay. So he sent us some so sort then, of weird visual display yeah. kind of a thing. Do, do we know how big this person presumably is? Or is there any um, to get to that? Not yet. Yeah, I'm going to get to it. Because I'm telling um, you, if it was me, I would be doing just like what she did, fighting with everything that I have. Absolutely. And so then he goes downstairs and he tapes Christina's Powell's mouth shut. So this is a roommate that just didn't hear because she was sleeping too. Like, wow. Can you imagine? Well, it happened so fast that that it didn't wake her up or something. I don't know. They don't think she woke up. But he goes back downstairs and he tapes her mouth shut and he binds her hands behind her back with duct tape and he cuts her clothes off. So then he raped her and he turned her over on her to where she was laying face down and he stabbed her five times in the back. So he didn't rape the first girl? No. He went upstairs, killed her quickly, and then spent more time with the second girl. Wow. I wonder if he planned that all along or if that was just a kind of a spontaneous little eruption that he right. kind of made that decision on the at the spur of the moment. Right. And so she and Christina Powell had postmortem partial amputation of her breast. So he clearly spent a lot more time with her and he, he he also turns her over to where she's laying on her back and he spread her legs open as well and she's found on the floor hmm. and he places a towel and a bottle of dish soap on the ground between her legs and it's pretty obvious to the investigators that like i said he spent more time with christina powell and he used the soap and the towel to clean up any biological evidence of the sexual assault. Off the victim. And he posed both of their bodies in sexually suggestive poses for the shock value when they were found. What a sicko. Yeah. So one day later, on August 25th, the sliding glass door of 18-year-old Krista Hoyt's apartment was pried open, and she lived alone. Okay, okay I hate... And she wasn't just home a yet. side note, I hate sliding glass doors. I cannot... Like, I don't want to be on the ground floor, first of all. Anytime, ever. I don't like this the ground like, floor either. And the second thing is, I just, there's something about sliding glass doors. I have to have one of those big, like, metal bars, mm-hmm. like, in the door before I feel safe mm-hmm. anywhere near a sliding glass door. And even then, I still feel like it's possible that someone could break that very easily. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I have one, I, if, I, if I live on the first floor somewhere, I, I've never actually lived on the first floor where it's been like a multi-floor apartment complex where I've had a sliding glass door, I'd usually just have like a back door or something. Mm-hmm. But if I live, if I have a sliding glass door, like when I lived at my condo in San Diego, that was a two-story condo. And so like I had like a wooden dowel, yeah. you know, that you put in yeah. the sliding, like and the base of the, on the track so yeah. that way like, you can't open the door all the way. But yeah, sliding glass doors freak me out. So. They do. Me too. And I don't think that's an unusual reaction. I think that that's a pretty common Mm-mm. thing for people. But I'm like, Mike would always get so mad at me because I'd always have to make sure that dowel was in there. And he'd be like, why do you Mm-mm. have to keep putting that in there? Just leave it. And I'd be like, no, it's not Because I read about murder all the time. <laughs> Seriously. There's so many stories so, of sliding glass doors just being pried right. open. I have a crazy story about a sliding door. Do you want to hear it? Oh, no. <laughs> Am I going to have nightmares so, about this? I'm telling you, like, I don't know. I don't have an explanation for it, but I, other than the fact that I know it happened... But I'm just gonna say, so this is my senior year of high school, and uh, I, I I'm a rule follower. I don't know if this is gonna surprise you or not. Maybe. And I had never skipped school before. What? So I decided, like the spring of my senior year, one day I was gonna skip school. And my dad listens to this show, and I think this is the first time he's gonna hear the the real reasons why I stayed home that day. Uh oh. <laughs> so I decided I was gonna I was gonna skip school. So I left the house and waited till my parents left to go to work, and then I came home. And I'm laying in my room and I'm watching TV and I hear the sliding door open. And so I'm thinking it's like my parents. And so I'm like, yeah, but why would they come in through the sliding glass door? 
I, I wasn't thinking about anything other than, oh, no, I've been caught kind of a thing. Oh, boy. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to pretend like I'm asleep. So I roll over in my bed, and I'm the way my room was was like there was like a little entryway, and then it kind of opened up into the main room. So I'm facing like the closet, which is beside the entryway, but I couldn't see the entryway, like unless I was like looking at it kind of a thing. Okay. So I roll over in my bed, and... The person comes I'm already in, freaking out. The, <laughs> the person comes into my room and I'm pretending to be asleep and I'm thinking they're going to wake me up. I'm going to tell my parents I got sick. And so I came home. Okay. And I'm laying in my bed and the person puts the hand, puts a hand on the side of the, on the mattress, like on the corner of the mattress by my head and leans over. Like, I could oh feel God. the mattress depressed. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. And I've, I keep my eyes closed the whole time. And you I'm, thought it was your parents still? Well, yeah, because I'm like, they're going to say, Darcy, why are you home? And I'm going to be like, oh, you just woke me up. I was sick. Like, I'm going to lie. It was my plan. Oh. Oh. They lean over, and then they leave. And then it occurs to me that in this house, this house that we were living in is built into a, the side of a hill. So the main floor is actually upstairs, and the downstairs where the bedroom was and the sliding door is on the side of the hill. You couldn't have gotten to it from the road. So that's not the main... We never use that sliding door. So <laughs> Oh, my God. So it's my senior year of high school, so my older sister is away at college. And so I get up, and I'm like, that was weird. Why didn't they say anything? And I look around the house. Nobody's home. So I call my, my dad. Were you just home? No, I'm at work. Did mom just come home? I don't think so. Christina didn't come home, did she? No, she's away at school. Somebody was just in the house. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, they had to have, like, they would have had to, and, it, like, this was, the house was, like, set kind of, like, in the woods. Like, the, the, the porch faced the woods. So, like, you came Did in. Did you check, was the door unlocked? The sliding door was unlocked. We always left the sliding door unlocked because you couldn't get to it from the road. Like, you oh had to have, like, God. walked down the hill and, like, walked through woods to get to the porch to open the sliding door. And this is why we don't have sliding glass doors <laughs> in our houses now. <laughs> is that not horrifying? I have no idea what happened. I don't know who it was. All I know you is... You are freaking lucky. Oh, I know. You are lucky you didn't get murdered, raped, I know. whatever, kidnapped. And I'm, I'm, I'm so incredibly lucky that I didn't open my eyes. If I had opened my eyes, I don't know what would have happened. Then you would have seen him, and then he would have had to kill you. Uh-huh. She or whoever. Yep. Oh, my God. Like, I left the house. I, I think I went to my grandmother's. I was like, somebody was in the house. I don't know. I'm not coming back. So how long did it take before you went back? I, I think I waited until either. I, I don't know if I waited until my parents came home. I don't know if my dad came home early because of it. I don't remember. But I mean, I, I came home later that day or something. But like, yeah, I it took no. a couple hours. I think I no. think what happened is I think somebody I think my dad called somebody and they came to the house to like check with me and make sure nobody was in the house. I think that's what happened. But the moral of the story is don't skip school and don't lie. Don't ever leave. Did you lock the door after that? Did you put yes. a dowel in it after that? I, we, like, we locked it. Oh, Yeah, so the moral of the story is so don't creepy. skip school because somebody's going to come into your house. And I, I, to this day, like, I felt the thing that I will always remember is feeling the corner of the bed depress. Like, they put their hand there and oh leaned God. over me. And I have no idea who it was. Mm. Uh-uh. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Isn't that awful. It's it's like creepy. it's kind of freaking me out. So creepy. Because I just think about like this the like all of the decisions that had to go into me surviving that day. Like if I had gone to school, like if I had opened my eyes at any point, if I had like when the sliding glass door opened, if I had been like, Mom, Dad, like if I had said something. All of these things had to align perfectly. For and like, you know what? There are probably plenty of women just like you mm -hmm. who did it differently and did not survive. And there are probably women just like you who did it exactly the same as you did and still didn't survive. Right. I know. I know. That's like, the thing that freaks me it's out. It's so random. Yeah. It is so random. Yeah. And I mean, it, 
it had to have been somebody like trying to rob us or something because I, I just can't. I, the way the house was, you had to have walked down the hill through the and it's a steep hill. It's like you had to have like climbed down this hill, walked through these woods where nothing was behind us. Nothing was behind our house. And like the porch kind of like went into like the, you know, the woods. And then so like you he could have like just walked right onto the porch and then just open the sliding glass door. But I was so concerned with like my lie of skipping school that I didn't realize that we know we don't use the sliding glass door as an entry to the house. Yeah. So like it, I was just like, crap, I have to fake my way out of this. So I roll over and I rolled over in a way that like if I my eyes were open, I would have seen the person walk into my room. But I kept my eyes closed the whole time. Good. I know. So anyway, so yeah, so we don't like sliding glass doors. (laughs) No. Just reiterates my... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My fear of sliding glass doors, because that is literally my worst nightmare. Yeah. I'm going to ask my dad about that, because I know I called him, and I I, I was like, are you sure you didn't come home? Did Gandy come by? He's like, nobody came by the house, Darcy. No. Yeah. (laughs) If I came home, sweetie. So I'm going to ask him about that because I don't remember how long I stayed away that day, but I know I definitely left. And I think he told me to call one of his friends and maybe I he came start over carrying a knife or something. Well, and I'm, I'm 17. <laughs> like I, I, I do. I wasn't into true crime. I didn't like read about all this stuff. I wasn't like aware. Yeah. I was completely unaware. After that, you were woke in a true crime sense. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, so back to the well, story. I don't know if you really were woke in a true crime. <laughs> no, it sense took back a, it then. took Maybe a long you were time. Just like in your in your teenage yeah own mind and like people own. don't believe my, me when I'm like no somebody literally came into my house and they looked over me. Creepy. Like it's so it's as creepy. real as anything I've ever experienced in my life. Like it was not a dream. Yeah. Knock that off. Yep. You're only allowed to have one of those per lifetime. That I did. I got it out of the way early. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> So she was at home, and the man waited in her living room for her to return. Mm. Okay. And when Krista gets back around 11 a.m., the man jumped out, and he put her in a chokehold. And he taped her mouth shut, and he binds her wrist with duct tape, and he took her into the bedroom where he cut her clothes off and raped her, similar to Christina Powell. Wow. And he forces her to lie face down and stabs her in the back. And she also had evidence of postmortem amputation of her breast. What breasts. is with the amputation of the breast? That's just like one of the most creepy things a serial killer can do, besides posing the body suggestively. Oh, this is... Okay, so he, then he decapitated her, all right? And he posed her body to where she was sitting up on the side of her bed... And he placed her head on a shelf to where, like, her head was facing her body. Gross. Yeah. Poor woman. I mean, jeez. Can you yeah. imagine being her family and having to, like, deal with something like mm-hmm. that? It's how, like, that's so yeah. twisted. That's deliberate shock and value so, that someone's trying to take advantage of. Absolutely. And by this point, obviously, this has just been 24 hours, and they've had three people murdered in Gainesville. And so, obviously, the, the news has gotten out in the media, and college students are changing their behaviors. They started sleeping in groups and sleeping in shifts, and they would change their daily schedules in case, you know, somebody had been stalking them, so they couldn't get a grasp on where they would be. I wonder how much news the media was you, releasing with respect to this, if they were just saying, hey, these, these girls were killed— be careful, or if they were actually giving any kind of detail on what had happened. I don't, I don't know. I mean, police knew pretty early on that it was a serial killer just based on the behaviors. Posing like the, the body. Yeah. Know, posing the body and things like that. But, um, but I don't know if that was made public, but it was pretty clear that something was going on, that, that three college students had been murdered, brutally murdered in, in 24 yeah. hours, you know? So I don't know how much was released in the press versus how much was kind of just obvious in the area, I'm not sure. But you also had a significant number of students who either transferred to other schools because it was, you know, the beginning of the fall semester or they withdrew from classes altogether. Yeah. I mean, Gainesville, it just like it just started to empty. And like local law enforcement, they started studying the victimology of the known victims so far to see if they knew each other or if they frequented like the same restaurants or anything like that. And they couldn't find any kind of common connection other than they were all just college aged women who lived so in it was Gainesville. Ran- it appeared to be a random decision to attack these women. Yeah. 
and they also asked the FBI for help developing a profile of the killer. And the profile that they came up with was, you know, say it with me, white male, 20s to 30s, single, athletic build, military experience, familiar with law enforcement techniques, average to above average intelligence, narcissistic, well-organized. He had a negative image of women. He was a loner. You know, all of the things we know that are typical of the serial killer template yeah. now, but in 1990, you know, that was new information. Yeah. So that's kind of the profile that they have. And so on August 28th, a friend of Manny Taboda's became concerned when he couldn't get in touch with either Manny or his roommate, Tracy Paulus. And so the friend went to their apartment and got the apartment manager to let the friend in. But as soon as they opened the door, they could tell that something oh, wasn't right. Boy. Okay. They noticed, like, the apartment's in disarray. They literally just open the door and then see something's not right, and they shut the door. But they noticed that there's a black bag on the floor of the living mm-hmm. room. And they didn't go in the apartment, and they waited for law enforcement to arrive. And when law enforcement got in there and they opened the apartment door, the black bag was gone. Oh, snap. I got chills when I read that. So and they interrupted so him, likely. What they find. Something. Yeah. Yep. And they find Tracy Paulus had been sexually assaulted and stabbed three times in the back. Her body was dragged into the hallway, which is likely what the friend and the apartment manager saw when they first mm-hmm. opened that door. And her body had also been posed in a sexually suggestive manner, and she had been cleaned, but there were no signs of mutilation. Okay. I wonder, you know, who is so he, that's did, probably how is he when, making the decision who to mutilate and who not to mutilate is the question. Well, I think he got interrupted when they opened that door. I think he probably would have had the friend and the apartment manager not open the door. Okay. So potentially so that's like also what found, is impacting his ability to do. So if he's hears a noise or like gets spooked, then he doesn't have the time mm-hmm. to spend doing all the things he wants to do to the bodies. Exactly. And they found Manny Tabota in his bed. He was stabbed numerous times, again, in a blitz-style attack. So this is kind of a similar thing to the first one with Sonia Larson, where he went upstairs and attacked Sonia in her sleep. They think he attacked Manny the same way, just immediately attacked him and stabbed him. Manny had numerous defensive wounds. But they think the purpose of this was that they got that the killer wanted to get Manny out of the way to spend more time with Tracy Paulus. So right. Tracy Paulus was a primary victim. Mm-hmm. The other one was a kind of collateral damage that he had to get rid of in order to get to the primary victim. Exactly. And this is the first male victim. So that obviously raises the level of fear in the community because he's no longer attacking women alone in their apartments. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It, and it's, it, it, I wonder, is it random, the selection? Does he kind of watch them ahead of time to see who's in there first? And if so, why would he pick someone with a male you know, that could potentially fight back. Right. Yeah. That's never clear. I mean, we'll talk about it in a second, like how he kind of chose his victims, but, um, but it's kind of like when the golden state killer started targeting couples, you know, there's no fear that from the killer that this, that a man's going to be able to stop him or protect the women around him. Like it's kind of just, everything just is heightened at this point. He's that full of himself. Right. And, and, Gainesville, like the police presence in Gainesville is crazy. They, you know, they have gun and they sales spike, you know, the University of Florida suspended classes for a week and this, the town of Gainesville practically emptied. And I was watching this um, document with this thing on, on YouTube. It was an episode of FBI criminal pursuit. And one of the, the police officers said that he put his wife and children in a hotel out of town. Like, everyone was just freaked out. Like, he wasn't going to risk leaving his wife and kids alone in the house when he wasn't there, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. So, while out on patrol, Gainesville police, two Gainesville police spot two suspicious-looking men, a white male and a black male, and they're kind of entering the woods on the outskirts of town. Right. And when, when an officer goes to confront the men, the white guy runs, and the black guy stays and talks to them. Okay. And... The white, the white guy escapes. He, they don't catch him. But during the chase, they kind of stumble upon this makeshift campsite in the woods. Okay. And they search the camp, and they find camping equipment and bags. They also find clothing and cash that has been stained with dye. Hmm. All right. And about a week before the, the murders, 
a bank in Gainesville had been robbed, and the two suspects were a white man and a black man. All right. And the black man confesses to the robbery, and he gives police the name of his accomplice. It's a guy named Mike Kennedy. So that's who they're searching for, this Mike Kennedy guy. Okay. But they can't find him. And they kind of lose all leads, so that case kind of goes cold, and they start, you know, they start focusing on the murders again. And then the task force starts getting these tips about a man named Ed Humphrey. He's a college student at Florida, and he has been seen in the areas of the homicides. He's kind of weird. He has scars on his face, like he'd just been in a fight or something like that. Um, so they start getting a lot of tips, and they start looking into him. And he lives at the same apartment complex as the most recent victims, Manny Tabota and Tracy Paulus. And he also had recently been arrested for attacking his grandmother. All right. So he is in custody for the assault on his grandmother and they start, they bring him in for questioning and he knows a lot about the crimes and he's also behaving really oddly. Like he may have a mental health issue and, but he's acting suspiciously enough to where they, they think they're on the right track with this Ed Humphrey guy. Okay. So they collect saliva and blood and hair samples to compare DNA to the crime scenes. And it took, you know, forever because DNA was a very new technology. And while they're waiting on the DNA results, Humphrey is sentenced to 22 months in the state mental hospital for the attack on his grandmother. All right. And then the results come back and they discover that Humphrey is not a match. Hmm. So now they're back at square one. So then what happens is the Gainesville police enter the information about the crimes into the FBI's violent crime apprehension program, VICAP. Mm -hmm. And VICAP is, we've talked about it before, it's a national database where you can enter the characteristics of your crime scene, things that you know about the killer or the victims, things like that. Mm -hmm. And it will search crimes nationally to give you, um, to link you up with with crimes, a similar crime that may have been committed in the same area. And... After the information is entered into VICAP, they get a hit from a triple homicide committed in Shreveport, Louisiana. And in November of 1989, William Grissom, his daughter Julie, and Julie's son, Sean, were stabbed to death in their home. And Julie's body had signs of mutilation, and it had been cleaned, and her body had been posed nude with her arms up and her hands behind her head. Okay. And the killer also took her clothes and he put them in the washing machine and he started the wash. So he got rid of all biological evidence there. Hmm. And comparing the notes from the crime scenes, authorities in Shreveport and Gainesville think it's pretty likely that they're dealing with the same killer. Okay. And so now they're looking for a serial killer who's committed crimes in at least Louisiana and Florida. And a few weeks later, on September 7th, Shreveport police get a phone call from police in Ocala, Florida, that a man named Danny Rowling has been picked up on suspicion of burglary at a grocery store. And Shreveport PD contacts Gainesville because Ocala is just about 45 minutes south of Gainesville. Right. So Rowling is from Shreveport, and he had been living with his parents in Shreveport in May of 1990. But after an argument he got into with his father, he shot his father and fled the area. And as they look further into his background, they find a pretty lengthy criminal history. He has it started with uh, peeping in windows and escalated to burglary, armed robbery, and sexual assault. So it kind of followed that pattern of escalation. per usual. Right. And they also found that he had served time in Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia for armed robbery and sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And so they go back and they look at the evidence found at the campsite because Rawling had been picked up for a suspicion of robbery at a grocery store. They wonder if this is the same guy who's been who who was they're interested they're looking for for the bank robbery. This Mike Kennedy guy. Right. And so they go back and they look at the evidence in the, at the, the campsite and they find a tape recorder diary and the voice is that of Danny Rowling. A tape recorder diary. First of all, who yeah. does that? <laughs> Somebody who's really narcissistic, right. I think. Just stupid. Like, he doesn't say anything special on it. He's just like, you know, I want you to know I'll be fine. Don't, you know, don't be mad at me. Blah, blah, blah. He says just kind of like 
things, and he's like, "All right, I gotta go now. I gotta go do a thing." Like that's kind of all it said. Like it, I heard he was like that's all they played on, on that on FBI too. Show. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Somebody that's very narcissistic that just wants to hear the sound of their yeah, own voice, you know. Yeah. And so, a blood sample is obtained, and it comes back as a match to the seminal fluids found at all three uh, homicide scenes. Mm. So Danny Rowling is charged with five counts of first-degree murder, three counts of sexual battery, and three counts of burglary. And one week before his trial is set to start, he decides he wants to talk to the investigators. But he doesn't want to confess directly to the investigators. He wants to confess through his cellmate. That's also weird. And so this is like another control thing that's like, I'll tell you everything you want to know, but you got to play the game my way kind of a thing. Again, more of his stupid narcissism. Exactly. So he tells the cellmate that he basically rode around Gainesville on his bike. On his bike. And just, <laughs> yeah, and just looked for for potential victims. So I don't know how he chose his victims. He doesn't say, but he had to have watched them for some amount of time to know to go kill, you know, Manny first before he comes back and he kills Tracy. Like he had to have known that there was a man in the apartment, at least in that and scenario. And where he was sleeping know? or whatever, right? Just because, yeah, like, you yeah. can't just come in and wander around. Like, you don't have that kind of luxury or time if you're doing something right. like that. I mean, not that I know personally. Right. <laughs> but you would think. I mean, that's just a basic assumption. So he doesn't ever say that he watched or stalked his victims, but it seems to me that he had to have at least a little bit. Yeah. Um, at least seen two people go into the apartment or something like that before he went yeah. in there. So... Anyway, he confesses to his cellmate that he uh, he confesses to all five murders, but he doesn't want to talk about the murders in Shreveport. That's kind of a no-go. He doesn't even want to discuss it. Hmm. And they get ready for his trial, and they expect that they're going to have, like, a kind of insanity defense to deal with because he has a lot of claims of abuse from his childhood, and his, his father was terribly abusive. His, he felt like his mother abandoned him. And they think that's why he hated women, because he didn't feel protected by his mother when his father was abusing him. But rather than actually have a trial, Danny Rawlings stands up and pleads guilty and confesses in open court to all five murders. Hmm. And so even still, though, during the penalty phase, the prosecution pushes for the death penalty because... I guess because it was multiple multiple murder, but that's usually, I mean, and there was no plea arrangement, I guess, too. You know, there was no, like, discussion with the defense team that if you confess, then we won't push for the, the death penalty. So, so they push for the death penalty, and he's actually sentenced to die by lethal injection. Okay. And while he's on death row, he is linked definitively through DNA to the murders of the Grissoms in Shreveport, and he would later confess to that after he's linked to those. Also during his time on death row, he collaborated with author Sandra London on a book about the Gainesville murders. Um, I'm not going to say the name of the book because I don't believe that kind of work should be supported. But if you're interested, you can find it online. Um, And he also wrote songs and poems and he drew pictures that he sold in one of those murderbilia, you know, things that people are so interested in. So this book contained 50 pictures that were hand-drawn by him while he was in prison. So that was also part of the murderabilia thing. So there's this article on biography.com that talks about how this was the inspiration for the movie Scream. And it talks a little bit more about Danny Rowling's background. So he was born in 1954 in Shreveport. And his father was a police officer and a Korean War veteran who likely suffered some kind of post-traumatic stress and speculated about an inherent mental illness. Um, And Danny suffered a lot of abuse. He and his younger brother suffered a lot of abuse from their father. Their father was also very abusive to his wife, Danny's mother. And so this was going to be part of his, his kind of defense at trial was he suspected that 
this traumatic childhood was part of the reason that he developed multiple personalities as a defense from kind of his his nightmarish reality. I'm not sure if they ever proved um, that he had multiple personalities or if that was just a claim that he yeah. had in order to try to mitigate the circumstances behind his killing. Right. It could have been like Kenneth Bianchi, like, say he had multiple personalities when he was about to go to right. trial kind of a thing. He did get married and he had a daughter, um, but he was abusive to his wife, uh, kind of in the same way that his dad was abusive to his mother. And she his his wife left him. And then he was also in the Air Force, right, in 1972, which, again, you said that the profile mm-hmm. from the crime said that he had either military mm-hmm. or police background. Yep. And so, you know, it's likely that he he had some knowledge of law enforcement because his father was a police officer and he had military experience because he did serve briefly in the Air Force. So he like I said, he had served time in and out of jail in Alabama, Mississippi. He raped a woman who resembled his ex-wife in Georgia, and he was actually arrested and served time for this in 1979. So basically the divorce from his wife was like a catalyst to kind of creating this streak right, of violence in something. him where he actually started acting on it. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of traveling the country, stealing and raping south, women, yeah. and like this was kind of escalating gradually until he was back in Shreveport, mm-hmm. Louisiana. And it sounds like right. he did a lot and of so, restaurant work. Like that was kind of his go-to to kind of... Yeah, and that was part of the profile, too, is that he did, he was either unemployed or had, like, a low-skill um, job that didn't require him to, you know, really commit a lot of time outside of work to his career mm-hmm. or anything like that. So when he was talking to this this journalist, Sandra London, he he claimed that the abuse of his father led him to develop this alternate personality named Gemini. <laughs> God, and this Gemini that's so character weird. is what drove him to that these is so murders. weird. He actually was examined by a psychiatrist, and one psychiatrist agreed that he had an alternate personality. Uh, two others testified that they thought he had a severe personality disorder, but that he did not have multiple personalities or dissociative identity disorder. So basically this Sandra woman... <laughs> he has multiple personalities and he killed people. Like, why would you want to be engaged mm-hmm. to someone like that? This just, this whole thing is creepy. It's very creepy. And especially the, the, the posing thing is, is particularly upsetting. He clearly did that for shock value and not for like, that was his gratification was, was, knowing that people would be shocked when they came across these scenes. So he was executed by lethal injection in October of 2006. And in his final moments, he sang a religious hymn. That he wrote, no less. (laughs) Yeah, he wrote his own religious hymn and he sang it. um, And I guess he didn't get to finish because this article says his microphone was cut off. Bye. I mean, I don't yeah, mean to make light so of it, but, like, he, come on, dude, really? Yeah. And it, he actually did write a statement shortly before his execution confessing to the murders of the Grissom family in Shreveport. And it was these articles in Gainesville about these murders that inspired Kevin Williamson to write the screenplay for Scream. I wonder how he decided that he needed to be, like, humorous with it. I mean, it's not funny. Um, no, that's not funny. And I don't think that that was intended to be funny. I think it was, I don't know exactly how, cause I mean, it's not really related at all. It's, I mean, it's just kind of the, the, the home invasion thing and killing people that all go to school together. That's really the only kind of similarities I can think of. And then I think maybe Wes Craven. I don't I don't know if when Wes Craven got involved that they decided to make it make the screen film a satire of all horror films. Because that's really what it is. But I'm not sure. But it's I mean it's not really that similar. It just no it just says that when Kevin Williamson was reading the newspaper articles about the, the Gainesville murders that that's what inspired him to write the screenplay screenplay for Scream. Mm-hmm. So that's the story of the Gainesville Ripper. 
Have you seen pictures of this guy? Mm-hmm. He's extremely plain looking. Like, he's not particularly very big. He doesn't strike me as somebody that's very strong. He's just plain. Yeah, I mean, and he's kind of balding and... Average in every way. And did you see pictures of Sandra London? Mm-hmm. Born in 1947 in Florida, she's a controversial American true crime author best known as the one-time girlfriend of convicted murderer and suspected killer G.J. Schaffer and the fiancé of convicted serial killer Danny Rowling. So, um, yeah, she's kind of into that creepy killer type. Mm-hmm. She And it doesn't say when they got engaged or anything like that, so... Less well-known is the fact she used this access to debrief both of them about their crimes and the thinking behind them and publish the results of her investigations. Wow. So I wonder if she made a lot of money off this. I mean, if that was, like, her main incentive behind it. it I don't know. It kind of seems like she was just into reading about them and and contacted these guys and they were willing to tell her their story. Like, I don't know that she really is a true crime author or if she's just into these guys and she's like, well, I can also write a book about it. Well, it says here she's got quite a few other books that were published and co-authored. Extraordinary Tales of Murder and Military Mind Control under MKUltra in her memoir about her father who was a homicidal maniac and enlisted her and her brother in the special program of chaining and experimentation with hallucinogenic drugs when she was six years old. I don't believe that. Whoa. There's no way that's true. She's definitely very creative. There's no way that's true. I don't believe that. I guess they got sued, too, under the Florida Son of Sam law, which had been declared. Because he was a co-author of that book. Yeah. Yeah. So he shouldn't be able to make any money off Um, of that. And then she also published a study on vampirism. True vampires. Yeah, she looks like, that's what I'll say. She looks like somebody who would publish a book on vampires. Yeah, she looks like she wants to be a vampire. Mm -hmm. So it looks like she's got quite a few works under her name. She documents as well how she was inspired to write about crime after reaching a plateau in her career as a technical writer. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) It's a technical writer is not exciting at all. It's very, very boring. I've done that kind of work before. But then she contacted serial killer G.J. Schaffer, Schaefer, however you want to say it, who was an ex-cop who's serving two life sentences for murder. She dated him in high school as well. Oh. The two began collaborating on a book containing writings by Schaffer that were arguably descriptions of his own crimes. So... Hmm. He's the one. It's not I, really a biography, but maybe like she was trying to get some titillating short stories out of it. And yeah, they released those as short stories and tight. I'm not going to say the title because it's creepy, if I remember correctly, he's the cop who picked up women and like took them to the woods and tied them up to trees. It sounds and like came it. back later and murdered a, them. He was a former deputy sheriff. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. That's and then right. he started to get really creepily obsessed with her and started divulging details of his crimes to her while she was visiting him and giving her handwritten letters detailing it. Who would have thought a serial killer would become obsessed with somebody, with a woman trying to write a book about him? Hmm. Go figure. Did not see that coming. But she pretty much ended the relationship when he threatened her life. Oh. Um, And if she was going to... He basically told her, if you ever show these letters or give the stuff that I told you to the authorities, I'm going to kill you. And then... She filed suit against him. Did she promptly give them to the authorities? That's what I would have done. Actually, you know, she filed these in defense of a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. He sued her with falsely stating that he was a serial killer. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that creepy mm-hmm. and weird? It's very strange. Upon reading 500 pages of Schaefer's handwritten statements attached to her response, the judge threw Schaefer's lawsuit out. After his death, Sandra London's sworn testimony was used to close two cold case murders that he did. And then she collaborated with Danny Rowlings afterwards, where he confessed to the murders and then published the book together. Like, at what point do you get like, do you go from, hey, what happened? Explain to me these crimes that you did Mm -hmm. and descriptions or details to, hey, I think you're sexy. Let's get it on. And let's get engaged. He's on death row. Yeah. Yeah. See, to me, that like, kind I wonder of sounds if like the, it's the any p- portion of that is. I know, but it could have been something that she was using to get access to him. That's what I was thinking. It's it reminds right? me of that that girl that like married or wanted to marry 
uh, Charlie Manson right before he died so that she would get yeah. all of his stuff when he died. That's kind of yeah. what this sounds like. Not only that, but like I think it allows you like maybe greater access to the prisoner yeah. um, just on a day to day basis, mm-hmm. uh, which could have been some of her motivation for doing that. Um, yeah. Although uh, I wonder, you know, how romantic their relationship really was, if there were indeed any feelings or if she was just kind of playing that situation out to get what she wanted, because well, she could have also been manipulating him to get the information that she wanted to create a book. Yeah, but then you also have to wonder, like, about the integrity of the person that's doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, is that somebody whose book you want to read, that some that somebody who manipulated a serial killer into thinking she loved him in order to get the story? Like, Yeah, but who who's going to know that? And we're, I mean, we're speculating it right now. Because I think that most people who pick up something like that aren't necessarily going to know the background behind it or take the time to do the research and look at how this can right. be. I mean, yeah, I just don't think I hadn't the majority heard of her before this. So these types of novels, I was gonna say I hadn't heard of her before I started looking into this. So like, I don't. Yeah, it's not like she must have. She's not like Anne Rule. It's not like she's a prolific true crime writer. You know what I mean? No, no. So I don't know. It's interesting, though, that she had these relationships with two separate serial mm-hmm. killers on two separate occasions. She'd gone to school with one of them, became engaged to the other one. Yeah. Clearly, this woman has some issues. Yeah. I would, I mean... I mean, not that I'm judging. Questionable. (laughs) Questionable um, decision-making skills. Yeah. So, I believe she's still alive now. Yeah, sounds like it. She's a controversial true crime author. Like, who makes these descriptions? I wonder if she wrote her own Wikipedia page. (laughs) You're actually not allowed to write your own Wikipedia page. Oh. But, um, I don't know. I mean, that's conjecture. Like, that could be just like a weasel word kind of a thing. You know what I mean? Like you're not allowed to write your own Wikipedia page. It has to come from a third source. Huh? Can you write Mm -hmm. one for me? Sure. (laughs) Sarah was a controversial true crime podcast author. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She was also a content creator. (laughs) It's like one of the things you hear all the time too. Like about you for it to Work as a Instagram media mogul. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go, Darsha. You're writing this down. You should be taking I'm, I'm, notes. Well, we're recording it, so I've got it. <laughs> For posterity's yep. sake. Do you ever wonder about that? Like, what are people going to say about me in 20, no, 30 years or whatever? <laughs> Is there going to be anybody saying anything about me in that amount of time? It's weird. Like, we took last I night. I just assume and there's not. We live in an area where there are a ton of graveyards. Like, there's one two blocks from my house, like a big one two blocks from my house. And so last night, it was really warm out, and we decided we were going to take a walk, and we walked over to the graveyard. So there's one two blocks in one direction, and there's one two blocks in the other direction, two separate different graveyards. Mm -hmm. And we walked through the bigger of the two graveyards. One of them's a Scandinavian graveyard that stretches, like, three or four blocks in each direction. The other Mm -hmm. one is, like five or six city blocks in each direction and just a really big graveyard and it's got some very old graves in it and mm-hmm. we kind of looked at some of the headstones and some of them were there from the 1700s whoa there was one where a woman that was born in 1776 oh. um, she wasn't buried then but she was born then and buried uh-huh. in like 1815 or something like yeah. that and there was a lot of really cool old headstones and some mausoleums and like mm-hmm. Just really crazy stuff. And we sat and just kind of looked at the... There was a ton of them as they went by. And there's one on the far end of the graveyard that's kind of covered up a little bit. This says Hamilton. And that's all. There's no, like, headstone. And we were wondering if it was related to President Hamilton. But I don't think he was buried in this part of the country. I think he was buried in, like, New York or something like that. But I wonder if it was one of his family. I don't know. Well, it's very could, I weird. Mean, that could just be, like, the, the family name. And then they have multiple graves in that area. To the individual people. But there was nothing, like, near it. It was just this, like, building. Oh, maybe building, it's just, like, an obelisk. Like, a big stone building mm-hmm. that was probably, like, I don't know, 20 feet by 20 feet. And it's got, like, a stone door and just the, a carved uh, stone thing in the front that says Hamilton. And there's well, no graves around it. It's just but, underneath the tree. But if it's a building, the graves are probably inside it. But it's not open. It's closed. It's, like, a big heavy there's, there's no, no handle family. on the door like it's looks like it was sealed closed but it was very interesting to me mm-hmm. like I, i've never been afraid of graveyards have you 
No, um, I actually took a tour of the St. Louis number one, like the haunted one, you know, in uh, New Orleans. Um, it was really, really interesting. I'm not, but I'm not really afraid of graveyards either. Yeah, it's something I, I go I like seek out when I go somewhere. I want to go look at the graveyards because oh, like, I don't it's want to, but super interesting to me. Yeah. And I fell. <laughs> now you're I totally see, now ate. you're cursed. So I look up, I, I stepped, took a step and it was like this little bit of a hill going down and there was like a stick or something like a big stick broken off. and I rolled and just fell. And I look up at Mike and I'm like, do you think one of the ghosts pushed me? <laughs> Honestly, you fall more than I do. And that's a lot. <laughs> I do. I really do. And yeah. he was like, he turns around, and looks at me. He's like, really? You're on the ground yeah. again? Like, you fall so much. And I'm you like, do, you do fall a lot. You don't even care if I'm hurt. Well, <laughs> He's like, well, it just it, it happens a lot. <laughs> I know how to roll. <laughs> so there I don't you go. Yeah. Hurt. <laughs> Except for the time but I didn't. It was like kind face. of a hill. And I just kind of slid like on my butt. So like I didn't get hurt or anything. But I was like, yeah. oh, ow, that kind of hurt a little bit. Uh-huh. But anyway, that was my experience in the graveyard. And we stayed until it got dark and we couldn't see anymore. And then we walked home. But. It was an interesting experience yeah. in honor of Halloweeny month. Nice. So if you go to graveyards and have any creepy habits like we do, write to us. Tell us about your creepy yeah, habits. Yeah, we meaning you and Mike. I don't just go to graveyards. <laughs> yes, but listeners, like, tell us your stories. Yeah. We'd be more than happy to share some of them on the show. Yeah. And regal our listeners with stories in honor of Halloweeny month. spooky Halloween stories. Yeah. So, um, and then go watch, what's the movie with Jack Skelton? Nightmare. Nightmare Before Christmas. I love that movie. Yeah. It's super cute. And I love um, Disney World and Disneyland when they make the, oh, I don't think they do that at Disney World. I think they only do it at Disneyland where they make uh, the Haunted Mansion into the Jack Skellington. Oh, really? Yeah. They do a whole thing and they put like a Jack Skellington, they put the big monster thing and all the guys and make it special for the season. It's there from like end of September through the new year. Are you a haunted house person? Um, like for Disneyland and Disney World or just in general? Like in general. I don't really go to a haunted house. I don't really believe no, kind of like stuff. the I mean, maybe, like the Halloween like, season ones, like when they like make one, make a haunted. Oh house. yeah, no, 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 I don't do oh. that. Like you don't to do me, that? it's like eh, I don't want people trying to touch me. I don't. No. See, I like them, but none of my friends do. So nobody, I don't have anybody to go with. Mm. Poor oh, you. I know. I know. <laughs> wah, wah. Feel bad for me, listener. Put out a Craigslist ad. Yeah, that's a way to get murdered. <laughs> <laughs> Like, honestly, if that happened, you would, like, update the show and be like, well, Darcy got murdered because she put out a Craigslist ad for a murderer to take her to a haunted house. I mean. Yeah. If that ever happens to me, I want you to be brutally honest. I want you to tell the listener. I don't want you to be like, oh, she had a winning smile and everyone loved her. No. Be honest. (laughs) Tell them about the real name. She put out a Craigslist ad. She lit up the room. No. Somebody. Don't tell people that. Take her to a haunted house and she died. (laughs) Are we shocked? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could have a contest. Take Darcy to the haunted house contest. No, <laughs> no. Hey, I'm just spitballing here, throwing out ideas. <laughs> I barely like the people I know. You think I like people I don't know? Get out of here. Well, I mean, maybe the true crime listeners will just like vibe with you and be like eye to eye. I tell you, I'm super all set. I don't want somebody <laughs> to be like, I listen to your podcast. I want to take you to a haunted house. No thanks. It's funny because you hear some of these like more popular podcasts talk about, oh, somebody recognized me and blah blah blah. And no, I'm thank like, you. Really, really, no, thank you. Like that? You I think don't that's want. Cool? I don't want any part of that. <laughs> You can keep all of that. So. I prefer to neither be seen nor heard. Okay. Well, now we know Darcy. <laughs> Everyone take a note. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is how Darcy mm-hmm. rolls. Why do you think I do- you, nobody knows where I live? <laughs> right? Well, you know, I spill little beans here and there. Um, anyway. Well, you've asked me, you like three times, you're like, when did you move to Kentucky? I'm like, don't live in Kentucky anymore. It's been four oh, years now. Oops. <laughs> So you don't remember where I live, so I don't have any issue with that. I don't remember a lot of things. I think maybe I need to start taking some ginkgo biloba. Yeah, see, I don't have any concerns about you spilling the beans on where I live because you think I still live in Kentucky. So, Yeah. Alabama, Tennessee, I don't know, whatever. Um, Let's go ahead and wrap the podcast up. 
All right. Uh, this is the point in the show where we ask you guys to please rate, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends about us. Join the bandwagon for the BFD podcast. We love it. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can send us an email. We're at the BFD podcast at gmail.com. We throw that into the show notes as well as the references that we used for the show for the week. And social media, Darcy? Yeah, we are at the BFD podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. So you can also find us there and follow us there. We'll post some pictures of uh, Rollins and Sandra. And it's not mm-hmm. Sandra like Sandra, like S A N D R A. It's S O. S O. Yeah. <laughs> she has to be Sandra. extra special. So we'll post some pictures of that and her and her little goth look for you all. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>